Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I remember in eighth grade, my science teacher said to me, Mr. Arnold, you better pay attention in class because one day you're going to talk to someone who's really smart in science and you're going to wish you paid attention. So today's the day. I've got Spike Pissaris in my studio. He has a degree in electrical engineering from the University of Massachusetts and has done graduate work in physics. He is formerly an engineer in the United States military space program. So he knows his stuff. And he started off as an atheist and an evolutionist. Today, he's a creationist and a Christian. So that's the topic today. Spike, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've got a history in uh, science and physics, and I am very curious of hearing your story from going from uh, an atheist and an evolutionist to a creationist and a Christian. Yes. Nice work, by the way. (laughs) It wasn't my doing. Well, I get that, but I want to hear it. I was actually trying to disprove this position when I was dragged. I'm not surprised. Screaming into the <laughs> place that I am now. Yeah. Um, so growing up as a child, I was a real science kid. I still have geology textbooks from the time I was six and seven years old that my mom got for me. So that's the kind of child I was. Loved science, geology, paleontology, all of that. Later became interested also in astronomy, cosmology, related subjects. And I understood quite clearly from my secular humanist heroes of the time, Carl Sagan, Isaac Asimov, and all of them, that science showed that there was no God. Uh, There's no need for one, so why believe in one anyway? So you bought that? Hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. All right. Heard the gospel at age 12, rejected it, because science showed there was no creator. And you were more interested in sticking with science than you were anything else. Absolutely. Because you're a scientist. I even challenged the person who was witnessing to me. Well, how, what do you do with dinosaurs? What do you do with fossils? What do you do with evolution? What do you do with the Big Bang? And this person didn't have answers for any of that. And so I said, well, I'm not, no need to pay attention here. There's nothing to pay attention to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you continue down this path, and mm-hmm. now you've decided that you, you believe there is no God. Did you not look at the stars and the moon and, and the sky and think, this, did this just happen? Well, they all form by natural processes, <clears throat> or so I thought. Okay. And understood that story very well. Fast forward to my late 20s working in the space program. Uh, started a conversation with a colleague who I found out was not only a Christian but also a creationist. And that kind of surprised me because I knew a few Christians. I grew up in a non-Christian home. Uh, I knew a few Christians growing up, never really engaged substantially with them, but I didn't know any creationists. And my view of creationism was that which I picked up from my atheist heroes, mm-hmm. was that creationists were either ignorant of science or just willfully blind to it. Um, but here's a man, obviously intelligent, working with us there, who had this view. And so I was sort of puzzled, and I said, how do you deny all the obvious evidence for evolution? And he said, what obvious evidence is that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I like so, this guy. Uh, yeah. So I start talking about redemptive dating and fossil sequences and all these various things, and he had answers for everything I brought up. Um, Do I have your attention now? (laughs) Right. Uh, He had my attention. I didn't necessarily believe what he was saying, but at least he wasn't uninformed on some of these issues and had what he thought was a consistent view. You couldn't write him off, could you? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I kept asking him questions, and this, this is a series of conversations over lunch and whatever, spreading over weeks to months. I kept challenging him on various things, and he was very gracious, and he answered all my questions, and, and he, he would say things like, well, I'd bring up a fossil sequence, for example, and he'd say, well, you should go look into that one. They threw that one out a couple of years ago. So I'd go and look, and sure enough, he'd be right. Or he'd point out aspects of things that I hadn't considered, and so on. And after, I don't know, a month and a half, two months, I ran out of questions to ask eventually. Now, I didn't believe his worldview yet, but at least I understood there was more to it than what I had thought. Mm-hmm. So your black and white has now become gray. <laughs> Is that fair? Well, it was certainly a more interesting conversation by that point. Okay. Um, but eventually, like I said, I ran out of things to ask, and he turned the tables on me. Ooh. So he said, okay, I've answered your questions. You can answer mine. And so that's fair. He said, you believe in the Big Bang model, don't you? Excuse me. He said, you believe in the laws of physics, don't you? And I said, yes, we use them here every day. He said, how do you reconcile those with the Big Bang model? And he didn't, didn't even explain what he meant. But as I thought about the question, I realized, wait a minute, laws of physics and Big Bang model don't play well together. Actually, they don't play at all together. Um, I need to fix this. And so that was the moment where it really got personal for me. Is that all life starts from life? What, what are we talking about here? Well, bio, this is bio, even, even more fundamental than that. Okay. Um, I argue now that any secular model of cosmology, of which the Big Bang is an example, but this isn't limited to the Big Bang, any model for, to explain the universe's existence without a creator will violate the laws of physics in one way or the other. There's a couple different approaches to build a secular cosmology. Each of them violates a different law of physics. So if you want to deny God in your thinking and explain that the universe exists, you don't get to make a model that's consistent with all of physics. You only get to choose which laws you're going to violate. Okay. The only way to have a consistent model of cosmology is to say that a supernatural creator is outside of it all and responsible for it. And we can talk about that more if you want. No, I do want to talk about that more. Um, but now there's guys like you, the former you, that are now coming after you calling you nuts. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ignorant, stupid, or insane, as Richard Dawkins said, all, all creation okay. is supposed to be right. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> flattering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Okay. Let's say more about that. So... Okay, let me finish the story briefly. So at that point, he had my attention to where it was no longer a problem with him that I was trying to find. Now it's a problem with me. So that began a period of almost a year of trying to find a way out of this, researching every area of science I could, and eventually coming to the conclusion that there must be a creator, that the Bible is an accurate account of history. Not only from science, but he also started bringing in books from Josh McDowell about the historicity of the Bible and these other areas that I had never even considered. So ultimately I came to the conclusion, if we can know anything then we have to admit that the Bible is an accurate account of history, the universe was created, there is a creator, and so on. But I didn't want that to be true, (laughs) was the problem, because I understood clearly that if there's a creator, then I'm accountable to the creator, against whom I've been heaping up, or sinning my whole life, and heaping up wrath for myself, which means that's what I'm going to get. And that's a logical chain of dominoes to my way of thinking. Once the first one topples, they all go. Mm -hmm. Since I didn't want judgment, I had to deny creation at the very beginning, but now I understood that science demands that there must be a creator. And so I was caught between two equally unpleasant alternatives. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for a while, I didn't have a coherent worldview because I knew that my old one didn't work, but I didn't want the one that apparently was true. Um, and I struggled for a couple of weeks with this problem. Not having a worldview is very disorienting, by the way. It's a very uncomfortable feeling until it finally dawned on me, well, wait a minute. If, yes, if the Bible's true, then I am a sinner sinning against a holy God. And I've been heaping a wrath for myself, and that's what I'm going to get. Except that this also means that the Bible is true, which means the gospel is true that I heard 15 years ago, which means God knows my sin better than I do. 
but still loves me enough despite that to have sent his son to pay for it all. So why am I fighting this? This truly is the good news. What better news could there be? There is no better news. There's no better news. It's like Thesaurus, <laughs> you, you came to this incredible rash of reason had come over you that this good news is true. Right. I love the scientific mind that's embracing the biblical truth. Overly linear, I've been told. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I love the idea. I mean, some people tell me they get all emotional and they, and they make a decision for Christ because we're all emotional. And th- there's other people that say, this is the most sensible thing I've ever heard. That not only did God create the world, but he sent his son to die for our sins. And by myself placing my faith and trust in him, I'll have eternal life. Right. And I can start following him today. So... That's the conclusion you came to as well. Right. Sometimes I tell people I became a creationist first and a Christian second. I like that. Um, Because sometimes the other side in this debate says that to believe in God as creator, you have to put blinders on and not see what science truly says. Mm -hmm. And they say, if we could just take off our blinders of faith that are pre-commitment to this book, the Bible, then surely we'd see all this evidence around us that everything got here by natural processes. But I'm one for whom the opposite was true. I mean, there's many others like me but became convinced by the evidence first, and then that removed the stumbling block that opened the door um, to becoming a Christian. Because yeah. science alone is insufficient to make one a Christian. Obviously, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, but there are many for whom science is a stumbling block, as it was for me, and so that's why I do what I do now, mm-hmm. talking about these sorts of things. And uh, Spike, what do you when you hear p- people use Christian cliches, or they, they, they use examples that they've heard and they repeat, because I've done this, where they say, all right, you're out in the desert and you come across, um, you know, uh, a, a Rolex watch. Mm-hmm. Did that just occur that that way? Was Did it just grow out of the sand or did somebody make that watch? Right. Was, was, was there a, a manufacturer, a creator, an inventor? Sure. Do You, you probably get that often. Yeah, uh, and it, that's an argument from design, and there are lots of arguments like that. Um, And I think it's reasonable to say that we can perceive design in things, and apparent design does imply a designer. Uh, There's a lot more complicated examples of that, even in in biology, for example. Uh, The way DNA works is bewilderingly complex. I mean, there's computer science principles built into that that we're only now beginning to understand. There's multiple levels of error correction and meta-control and other things. Um, I once heard a geneticist describe it, pointing out the fact that the body can read DNA in different directions and in different segments. And so he said, imagine reading a novel that you read the book and it's a good story with good arc and good characters. And you get to the end and say, that was a good story. I'm going to read it again backwards and see what happens. And you read it again backwards and it's a different story, you know, letter by letter backwards. Different story, different characters, different arc, still a good novel. Then you read it every other word, every other letter even, forwards, and you get a third story. Are we capable of writing a book like that? Obviously not. Mm-hmm. But that's how DNA works. It's a one continuous string of characters, if you will. And depending on which sections of it you read or which, and which order you read it in, there's different proteins, different coding instructions, all sorts of things built into that one strand. It's bewildering. and It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, see, now I wish I paid attention in eighth grade science class. Right. Because <laughs> I would be understanding more of what you're saying. Well, a lot of this stuff wasn't even known then. Some of these are more oh, recent well, discoveries. There's my excuse. So, yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let me take a break. Spike Thesaurus. Yes. Did I say that right? Yes. It's a little tricky. P-S-A-R-R-I-S. Right. All right. He's my guest. We're talking about um, astronomy and his 
faith that he now is a believer and a creationist when he was once an atheist and an evolutionist. You can learn more about him and his videos at creationastronomy.com. Yes, creationastronomy.com. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Spike Pasaris, and we're talking about, oh, I don't know, easy things like physics and cosmology. <laughs> See, there I go. There I go again, Spike. Sure. Physics and cosmology. You're much smarter than I in that department. Let's talk about that. I'm about smarter. No, no, no. You're I'm way just smarter. longer. Yeah. Oh. So I like to talk about big questions. Why are we here? Why does everything exist? If the universe exists, how did it get here? And I like to boil it down to a simple question, just six words. Did the universe have a beginning? How many possible answers are there to that question? There's just two, right? Yes or no. And if you say there's not a creator, you have a problem. Because every cosmological model has to begin by answering that question. the answer you choose produces very different models, of course. Um, but any attempt to answer that question without a creator means you're going to run into a law of physics at one point in your thinking. So, for example, if you say, yes, the universe had a beginning. Well, if there was a beginning, then what began? Well, if there's a universe, that had to be everything. So everything had a beginning. Because if there was something before the beginning, then whatever began wasn't everything, right? So if there was a beginning... Before the beginning, there had to be nothing. So the yes answer to that question requires that there to have been nothing and then something, which means something had to come from nothing. Okay. And physics doesn't allow for that. One of the most fundamental laws of physics is called the conservation of mass energy, which means the combined amount of matter and energy in the universe can never change. Now, you can convert one to the other back and forth, uh, but you can never change the combined amount. If one goes down, the other has to go up. So, for example, we can convert matter to energy by blowing up a bomb. You know, a little bit of stuff produces a lot of energy. We can go the other direction, too, and take a lot of energy and make a little bit of stuff from it. We do that in particle accelerators. You get little little chunks of matter zipping around close to the speed of light, smash them together, and more stuff comes out of the collision than went in. But you're not creating the new stuff from nothing. You're You're converting it from the kinetic energy, the energy of motion that you put into the particles. So you can convert matter to energy, energy to matter, but you can't create either from nothing because that violates physics. Um, If you ever take a physics class, you'll see not only this law expressed that way, you'll see other laws of physics that just apply that principle in different circumstances. And if you ever answer a homework problem or a test problem or whatever in a way that violates this law, you're going to be wrong automatically. So very fundamental idea in physics, something can't come from nothing. So any proposal that the universe as a whole had a beginning would require something to come from nothing, which means you're violating this law of physics. Hopefully that wasn't too convoluted. No, it wasn't. Okay, so there's two answers. Did the universe have a beginning, yes or no? We see that yes violates 
the conservation of mass energy because something can't come from nothing. So your only other option as a secular modeler is no. No, the universe could not have had a beginning. There must always have been something. Well, can the universe be eternal? Can there always have been something? Can something always have existed? Well, I like to use an analogy here. Um, the second law of thermodynamics is something that plays a large role in our everyday lives. And this is another law of physics that we're talking about now. And think of a hot cup of coffee. You walk into a room, there's a hot cup of coffee sitting on the table. Has it been there for a long time or a short time? Been there just a short time, right? Because had it been there a long time, it would have cooled off. Mm-hmm. Could it have been there forever? No, because had it been there forever, it would have cooled off forever ago. Yes. And so, evaporated. And evaporated, right. <laughs> so we can use the same principle and apply it to the universe. Um, can the universe be eternal? Well, is there anything in the universe that hasn't cooled off yet? Stars, the sun, look out in the sky, right? It's full of things that are still hot that will eventually cool off and burn out or explode or meet their end in other ways. But the point is stars have a finite lifespan, if you can apply that word to stars. So if the universe were eternal, we wouldn't see stars anymore. Now, some people argue, well, new stars can form. There's actually issues with that, but set that aside. There's still a finite amount of energy available for star formation, which would have been consumed forever ago if the universe were eternally old. So if the universe were eternally old without a beginning, then we wouldn't see stars anymore. But we do see stars. Because they would have burned out. They would have burned out, yeah. The universe would have reached what's called a heat death, which is all the energy in the universe, all the heat energy would be evenly distributed. So everything would be the same temperature, a few degrees above absolute zero. There'd be no life, no activity, nothing. We haven't reached that point yet. We would if the universe were eternally old. Therefore, it is not eternally old. But if it's not eternally old, it must have had a beginning. So do you see, you see the paradox here for the secular modeler? He only has two answers to the question, did the universe have a beginning? If he says yes, he's, he has to say something came from nothing, which violates physics one way. If he says no, then the universe would have to be eternal, which violates physics in a different way. So whether he chooses yes or no at the beginning of his model, he's going to violate a law of physics one way or the other. So the only way out of this seeming paradox is the third option, that yes, the universe had a beginning, but there's a supernatural creator outside of the universe that's responsible for creating it all. Because if you think about it, there's only three logical options to explain why the universe exists. Either it was formed by a creator, or it formed by itself without a creator, or it never formed at all because it's always existed. So we see that option two, that it formed without a creator, isn't allowed because that would mean something had to come from nothing. And option three, that it's always been there, isn't allowed either because everything would have cooled off eternally long ago. Hasn't done that either. So the only logical option left is that there's a creator. Well, I'm sold. (laughs) No, Spike, you've done a a very convincing job. So do you want to comment on something like cosmic background radiation? Is that of any interest? Uh, There's different phenomena that have different explanations under different cosmological models. Um, But rather than getting it that deep into the weeds, I mean, if someone's really interested in cosmology, then they'll know the ins and outs and we could talk about that. But I like talking about just bigger issues. Does the universe exist? Yes. Yes. How did it get there? Yeah. Six words. Did did it have a beginning, right? Yes. So. Well, I look, all I have to go is as far as Genesis chapter one. And if I break down the first verse in the beginning, all right, there we have time, right? Mm -hmm. We have God created, there's an action, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, created the heavens, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. There's sure. a lot of activity in that first verse. <laughs> right. Sums up a lot. It really does. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why there's so much struggle about uh, creation. 
Well, because a lot of people don't want there to be a God. Exactly. Um, we see this nowadays with a lot of otherwise respectable scientists proposing that we live in a computer simulation being run by aliens. Yeah. And there's a cha- long chain of reasoning how they get there that's based on, ultimately, a desire to protect the Big Bang model from data that would contradict it. And we probably don't have time to discuss all of that. Yeah. But it interests me that a lot of these scientists are avowed atheists. They say, oh, no, believing in God is unscientific. But then with a straight face, they'll tell us, that there's alien programmers who made our universe and we're just living in a simulation. Well, if that were true, what characteristics would these alien programmers have? A programmer can control anything he wants in a simulation, so the aliens would be omnipotent as far as we're concerned. They created our universe and can control it. Uh, a programmer knows everything that's going on inside of a simulation, so they'd be omniscient. And a programmer can step inside the simulation at any time and do whatever he wants to change it, so they'd be omnipresent. So the atheist scientist who says there can be no God that's an unscientific concept is perfectly comfortable saying there's an alien programmer running the whole show who's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. What what kind of being do we assign those three three characteristics to? God. God. The only difference between the God of the Bible and the alien programmer is that the alien programmer isn't holy. Yeah. The hostility towards God is just powerful right. in science, isn't it? And the inconsistency. The same people who say there can be no God that's unscientific are perfectly comfortable believing in these unknown gods as long as these unknown gods don't hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. So you were, you were willing to be persuaded, so we're going to call this what the Holy Spirit did in your life, but there is, again, so much resistance in the scientific community against anything spiritual today that it, I'm, I'm wondering what, what are kids being taught in school? Right. Or the popular culture. Even. Or the popular culture, yeah. You get multiverse in the Marvel Universe and parallel universes permeating. And like I said, a respectable scientist talking about aliens now. Uh, it's it's just a, a veneer of scientism on a rejection of God, mm-hmm. in my view. Very interesting. So really been nice, nice meeting you, Spike. Um, we'll learn more about you at creationastronomy.com. Yes. All right. Now, there's also the best way to find out what you're doing next and how to keep track of your teaching and speaking, is is it at this website? Yes. I have an email newsletter, and there's a sign-up form at the bottom of every page there. Oh, I'm inclined to it's do free, that. It's free. comes out only a few times I'm inclined to do that. <laughs> yeah, just so you know. Spike, Happy to have you join. Yeah, Spike Pissaris has been my guest. You can learn more about him at creationastronomy.com. That's a, a creationastronomy.com. If you have not signed up for the verse of the day, I really recommend you doing so. You can spend time... Um, in God's presence by getting the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. It's an email. You can sign up for Spike's email. You can also sign up for this. There's a lot of good content coming your way. All you have to do is go to myfaithradio.com and sign up. It's a beautiful scripture graphic. It's sent right to your inbox, and that is something I know will bless you. All right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Primetime drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? 
Welcome back to the show. You know, the more people get to know who you are, the less introduction necessary. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, Ray Comfort. Ray, welcome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Are you ready for yet another interview on your book, So Many Lines, So Few Daniels? Yes, I am. I'm ready to go. Thank you. Yeah, so there's, with all the roaring lions out there, I got to say, there's a lot of people who might be afraid to bring up the name Jesus because, you know, they don't want to lose their corner office with the window that overlooks the pond with the ducks. Yeah, that's so true. Let me tell you why the book exists. There was a big big explosion in space millions of years ago. No, it didn't happen like that. (laughs) I I actually saw a T-shirt a couple of years ago that said, so many Christians, not enough lions. And I thought, man, that's about as sensitive as, you know, so many Jews, not enough Nazi ovens, so many blacks, not enough lynching ropes. And I thought, how horrible they do that. You know, so many Christians, not enough lions. So that book was written out of a kind of a righteous, humble uh, indignation. No, I, uh, I, I like that. I, I like that story behind the title. Uh, so many lions, so few Daniels. Living without compromise in a world in need of truth. My guest is Ray Comfort. And Ray, I don't even know how many books you've written at this point, but let's just say a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a couple of books a year for fifty years. Yeah, good for you. It's not it's it's not that many when you think of it like that. But yeah, I've got something to say on almost every issue because we've got the answer to every dilemma of humanity. You know, you just think the Beatles kind of had it. Love is all you need, but then they had their bit of breakup. Yeah. They, they just couldn't cut the mustard. But that, if we've got love, the love of God dwells within the heart of every human being. No one will lie. No one will steal. You know, don't need the police. Don't need judges. No lawyers. No jails. Because no one's committing adultery with wives, no one's killing, no one's hating, because mm. love is the fulfillment of the law. So we've got a message for this world that, you know, uh, I often challenge people. I say, you're an educated person. And they say, yeah, I'm educated. Well read? Very well read. What's the biggest selling book of all time? They say, I don't know. I say, it's the Bible. Have you ever read it? They say, no. So do you know the Old Testament promises that God would destroy death? And then the New Testament, it tells us how he did it. And it's amazing how people respond. The guy could have been an atheist a minute ago, but I say to him, are you interested? And he'll say, yeah. Why? Because he's not a dog. He's not a horse, cat, or cow. He's a human being, and God has placed eternity in his heart, and he's got something in him that says, oh, I don't want to die. So there's a way to talk to non-Christians to salt their oats when they've got no interest, just address their fear of death and their will to live, and it opens up doors. Jesus did it with a woman at the well. He said, if you knew who you're speaking to, you'd ask, and he'd give you living water. And she says, give me this water that I thirst not. Mm. And so we have principles that are given to us in Scripture. I mean, think about a waitress. And it goes up to a table. She looks up. There's three businessmen. They're in three-piece suits. They've got little suitcases or little cases on their desk. They're obviously wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. She just walks up and says, can I take your order? She doesn't mind butting in. Why? Because she knows she has what they want. They're there for food. That's why she's bold. And we've got to be bold in our faith because we know we have what the world wants more than anything. You've got people out there that are in torture rooms called gyms, sweating it out, causing themselves pain, <laughs> drinking, drinking green slime, <laughs> all because they want to extend their life just a few months or a few years yeah. when they're old. And yet we've got everlasting life in Christ. So we've got to shout it from the housetops. We've got to be bold. Yeah, amen to that. Ray Comfort's my guest. Ray, why, why do we have such a twisted view of love today? Oh, because the hippies didn't, they, they, they really didn't start it. They just got onto it. Get, yeah. Throw off the shackles of Victorian um, standards and have free love, and, and they destroyed it. I mean, 
People don't know the difference between love and lust. Love was expressed in the cross. Love is sacrifice. Love is self-control. And we see, we see it illustrated and exemplified in Jesus. So we certainly have a twisted view of love. And it's love, human love is so selfish. She loves me because uh, I, I do things for her, and I love her because she does things for me. It's, it's a selfish love. It's, it's not like the love of God. Yeah, there's nothing like that. Uh, Ray's book is So Many Lines, So Few Daniels. So let me ask Ray, uh, what are some common lines that people are, are facing today? Well, atheism is a big lie, and it's, there's nothing as stupid as an atheist. We, we tend to esteem them. You say, oh, have you ever spoken to an atheist? And they go, oh, yeah. We, we think they're intelligent. We think they're intellectuals when the Bible says the exact opposite. And if we don't see the atheist as a fool in the truest sense of the word, we're not being intelligent because Scripture says he's a fool because the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So the atheist is not an intellectual. He's someone who believes the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. He doesn't believe there was nothing in the beginning. He believes it was nothing that gave us flowers and birds and trees and seasons and fruits and male and female and puppies and kittens. All these things happen because of an explosion of nothing caused by nothing, and thus we have everything. It's absolute intellectual suicide. It's insane to be an atheist, and I'm embarrassed to even try and explain the existence of God to an atheist because I know the heavens declare the glory of God. We, we don't have faith that God exists. We know he exists in the same way. We know a painter exists when we look at a painting. The painting is absolute scientific evidence there was a painter. He could have died 300 years ago, but we know there was a painter. We never say the painting happened by itself. We know the painter exists because of the painting. And the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. That's his painting. Every time you look at those big puffy clouds or the blue sky or the stars or the moon or the sun as it rises, all these things declare the glory of God as a declaration like the Declaration of Independence wasn't a suggestion, it was a declaration. And the heavens declare the glory of God. So every atheist knows in his heart that God exists. It's just that he doesn't want moral responsibility. He knows he's doing things that God would frown upon. And I often say to atheists, would you be honest with me? He says, yeah, well, I mean, really honest, brutally honest. He says, okay. So it's not really an issue of God existing. It's an issue of you having sex with your gorgeous girlfriend and enjoying the pleasures of pornography. And you see his mouth turn up at the edges. <laughs> he knows what I'm saying is true because he's got a God-given conscience and he yeah. knows he's doing something morally wrong. Yeah. So, uh, Ray, when you have an opportunity to speak to an atheist or a religious person, Sometimes a religious person is almost harder to bring to Christ than a person who's an atheist. What, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. They're inoculated. I don't, yeah. ever studied, or, I don't know if you've ever studied or thought about weeds. Weeds are uh, just insane. I mean, you can look at a crack in a concrete during a drought, and up comes a weed like there's no tomorrow. Right. There's no, one, no one's planted it. No one's watered it. It's just coming up. And, and that's what self-righteousness is like, and that's what the religious person is like. He's like a man who jumps out of a plane, flapping his arms, thinking it's going to save him. He can't save himself. He's got to trust a parachute. But he'll never come to Christ and put on the Lord Jesus Christ until he acknowledges that he's a sinner. And that's why it's so powerful to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and do what Jesus did and open up those commandments. The Bible says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. And Jesus said, you've heard it said, by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already within his heart. What conscience isn't going to condemn every red-blooded guy? We all look with lust until we come to Christ. Our eyes are full of adultery, love the darkness. We hate the light. So what the key is in witnessing to religious people and atheists is to not stay in the intellect, but to go to the conscience, the knowledge of right and wrong. The word conscience means with knowledge. Con is with science is knowledge. It's like a non-Christian takes the batteries out of a smoke detector. Conscience is a smoke detector, and that's no harm until there's a fire. And so those that harden their conscience and dull it, like the self-righteous person does or like the religious person or the atheist or whatever, they're going to find on Judgment Day when the fire of God's wrath comes that they'll say, I wish I listened to that still, small voice, that judge on the court of my mind and acknowledge my sins and came to the foot of the cross for forgiveness. Uh, Ray, aren't you amazed at how little people think about the life after death? Oh, absolutely. Most people are very, very shallow when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. the, the things of God. They, 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 they think they can, I think the scriptures say they, they think their houses will live forever. Just talking to a guy this morning who was very arrogant, and I said, you ride a car? And he says, yeah. I said, let me just give you a scenario. You're driving along, you're getting all the green lights, and you're having a good day. And you've got another green light, so you just barrel through, and you look to your left, and it's an SUV going through a red light, and you know you've got two seconds to live because he's on your left. He's going to hit the driver's side. Where are you going when you die? And I said, that's not, a, that's not a far-out scenario because thousands of people die just doing what I've said. So you can have an aneurysm in your sleep tonight. And so it's very, very good. It's a very good thing to challenge non-Christians as to the fact that death could seize upon them tonight, that it's not something so far off. Satan will whisper tomorrow, get right with God, because he knows that he could take you out. And I, I think another good thing to do with a non-Christian is preach the fear of the Lord like Jesus did. He said, you've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. And then he talked about lust. And then he said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more. But fear him who has power to kill your body and destroy your soul in hell. So scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And through the fear of the Lord, men depart from sin. Until people fear God and get rid of this idolatrous understanding of God being a man with a pink nighty on a big puffy cloud trying, playing touch fingers with Adam, unless they get rid of that and see the revelation of what God is like in Scripture, they'll never depart from their sins. Mm-hmm. Ray Comfort is my guest. His book is So Many Lions, So Few Daniels, Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth. I was chatting with a guy at the gym the other day, Ray, and I was asking him about... Oh, so you were at the gym. <laughs> I was at the gym. I wasn't drinking the green stuff, though, because I'm not that stupid. <laughs> But I was having a conversation with a guy, and, and he, I was saying, well, what, what are your thoughts about life after death, or what are what are you thinking? And he said, well, I'm going to call the clergy when I'm on my deathbed, and I'll slip him a 50, and that'll help me get in. And I, I said, well, you know, Pascal says we're all making a high-stakes life commitment to a particular faith view, and we're betting our eternal destiny on it. I said, is that what you're be- betting your eternal destiny on it? He didn't have an answer. Well, you know, it's really good to just bring up a couple of Bible verses in those scenarios where people say things like that. And it, it almost sounds shocking when you say it, but I say, what, do you, what would you do if God killed you tonight? He killed a man in Genesis 38 because he didn't like what he did sexually. He killed a husband and wife because they told one lie. Mm-hmm. He was a steady the ark, and he didn't realize God was holy, and God killed him. He killed a whole generation because the imagination of their heart was continually evil. 
And so it's really good to bring out the fear of the Lord and make people realize they're not going to click their fingers and God's going to come running like a divine butler. And most people don't get a deathbed testimony. They're, they're snatched into eternity right. in a moment of time, an aneurysm in their sleep, a heart attack, car accident. And so this is serious business. This is, this is a life and death issue, and the, the life and death is the person you're talking to. Yeah, because your next breath comes at the mercy of an all-sovereign God. That's so, so true. How do you ignore him? How do you not pretend it's, it's, it's important in your life? I, I, that's just amazing to me. Yeah, our YouTube channel just passed 250 million views. We're in awe that we're able to reach so many unsaved people. And I would just encourage Christians not to look on me as some sort of expert. I'm not an expert. I've just done it a lot. And they can see atheists actually backsliding on our YouTube channel. It's all free, (laughs) and you can see it happening. You can see self-righteous people suddenly acknowledge their sins, praying with someone who had no knowledge of God two or three minutes earlier. So it, it it can equip you while you're watching it without... In feeling intimidated. Yeah, and Ray, I know you're going to play the, the humble card, and I appreciate that about you, but I have to say I've watched many, many, many of your, your YouTube videos, and, and you are a master at taking people through the process, and I, I am always inspired and encouraged every time I see one of your videos. Well, that's very very encouraging of you, but it's just, it's just doing it a lot. You can see some guy juggling and say, boy, he's gifted, but he's done it a million times, and that's where his skill comes. So anyone can do what I do. Yeah, they just need a New Zealand accent. That, that's <laughs> that's helpful. All right, we're going to take a little break. Uh, Ray Comfort's my guest. His book is "So Many Lines, So Few Daniels: Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth." And boy, aren't we a world in need of truth? We'll take a short break and be right back with Ray. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. My guest today is Ray Comfort. His book, So Many Lines, So Few Daniels, Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth. One of the things I love about Ray's style and Ray's books is he takes you on journeys with conversations that he has had, and it really is helpful. Uh, Ray, at the end of each chapter in your book, you do have you know various encounters with people you've shared with what are uh, one of your m- more memorable ones, and why? Well, there's one in there called it's Mario, and it's just passed 4 million views on YouTube. It's been up for a year or so. And I was on my bike. I ride a bike uh, with my dog, a uh, small dog, and a platform on the bike, and he wears sunglasses. I wear sunglasses. and It gets people's attention, and I can go up to strangers and have an instant rapport with them because if you've got a dog and they like dogs. It's the way we go. And not only that, women call out how cute as I go past, and I always yell out, so is the dog. In fact, <laughs> the other day I went past two women, and one of the women looked at me and went, <laughs> as I went past, and I thought, Cameron's got nothing on me. Anyway, the dog is a great way to, to make friends, and this guy was just standing by a tree, and he, uh, I went up to him, and he looked at the dog, and I said, you want to go on YouTube? And he said, yes. That That surprised me because... I go to Huntington Beach every Saturday, and we spend ages trying to get people on camera. One in 50 in Huntington Beach will come on camera. Mm -hmm. No exaggeration. You have to ask 50 people before one person says yes. Local college where I go each day a couple of times a day, it's about one in 10. And so this guy immediately says, yeah, didn't even know what it was about. And uh, so I asked his belief in the afterlife, and he was quite arrogant, very handsome young man. And uh, then I started going through the commandments, and I thought, ah, he's tearing up. He's starting to cry. 
and it freaked me out because when I see God's doing a work in somebody's heart, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to say something dumb or interfere with it. But it just went wonderfully. He just said, I said, you, you want to get right with God? He says, oh, yes. And I said, do you see yourself as a sinner? He says, yes, I've sinned against God. And it's a very, very moving. I think, I think it's called um, he had his own thoughts about God and then this happened or something like that. But it's, uh, it's a very moving video. There's quite a few like that that are uh, so touching. One was another atheist. He, was, uh, he said, I was, I was a very, very arrogant atheist. And uh, he was so colorful, and he came back in two weeks' time, a totally new, new creature, brand new person in Christ, holding a Bible, saying, I'm reading my Bible, and it was just absolutely delightful. And even this morning, and this doesn't happen very often, I was around at the college this morning, a lady, she's about 20, 22 years old, she says, you interviewed me a while back, and I was, uh, uh, she said, I was a little standoffish, but I went home. And just two weeks ago, I burst into tears and cried out, oh, God, I've sinned against you. And she put her faith in Christ, and she was just glowing. That doesn't happen very often, but it's such a delight when it does. So we'll put that on the YouTube channel. But what we did with the book, and it was a bit of a risk on my part. I didn't know if it would work. It was one thing to see somebody open to the gospel on YouTube, but I thought, will it work as written form, as transcripts, word for word? And I began, I just put some out there, and people wrote back and said, I absolutely love reading these transcripts. And so we put one in just the highlights of a YouTube channel, the best videos ever, and put them at the end of each chapter to see that, um, how people respond to the gospel. Yeah, so good. In one of your uh, chapters, Ray, in so many lines, so few Daniels, is called Daniel the Risk Taker. So let's talk about how Daniel took risks for God and, and how we can, we can do that as well. Yeah, Daniel's such an inspiration. He uh, was in a, uh, in a an environment that was not pleasant, like what almost similar to what we live. There, are, there's such animosity against Christians nowadays. Uh, I, I just watched a video that I recorded a year ago, and this guy kept saying, "You know, I don't like religious people; they hate homosexuals." And I said, "Hold on." He said, "Yeah, Christians hate homosexuals." I said, "I don't hate homosexuals; I love them." I said, "Every Christian I know." loves homosexuals. If you're a Christian and you hate, you're not a Christian. The Bible says that. A, a fountain doesn't bring forth sweet water and bitter water, but there's this animosity towards Christianity that's totally, um, it, it's just, it's just un, it's, it shouldn't be, should I say, a loss of words. Right. But it's creating an environment for Christians that's similar to what Daniel, they want to throw us to the lions. But what we've got to do is fling up at our windows and be bold and say, you're not stopping me being bold in my faith. And the, and the way to do that is just to fear God. The Bible says of Jesus, he was heard in that he feared. And if we fear God, we'd be more concerned about uh, what he thinks rather than what people think. And like I said, there's an, an easy way to share your faith and if you've got certain principles. My big, big breakthrough was about 25 years ago uh, when I used this phrase when talking to people. I said, do you think there's an afterlife or do you think there's life after death? Because I'd sit on a plane and there'd be a businessman sitting next to me and I would freak out. I'd say, man, if this guy would become a Goliath, as I sit there, how am I going to bring the subject up? Well, look out the window of the plane at the clouds and say, <clears throat> guess who made the clouds? I mean, how do you bring the subject of the things of God up with a complete stranger? Mm -hmm. Well, do you think there's an afterlife is what I use all the time. And I have a, I have a struggle with a fear of man. I have always. People say, you're kidding. Look, when I sat in a plane, I used to travel a lot. 
I would always pray for the person who sat next to me. If there's a seat empty, I'd pray for the person who's going to sit there. And this is my prayer. Oh, God, please don't let him show up. And I'm (laughs) not kidding. I am not kidding. That was Mm -hmm. my heart prayer. Please don't let anyone show up. And the guy would sit sit next to me and say, oh, I've got a witness to this guy. How am I going to do it? And when you're in a plane, you've got someone strapped in. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. And so you wait till after he's eaten his meal, so he's in a good mood. You've got to know him, talked about his family, what he does for a job, and then just say, Fred, got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? That took Goliath down to Zacchaeus. Seriously, I don't have the fear anymore because of that one question. So that's a great can opener. That gets right into the heart of complete strangers by just getting to know them a few minutes and then saying, I've got that, this question for you. Do you think there's life after death? And everybody thinks about that. Not many people talk about it. It's the, the ultimate elephant in the room that's stomping on everybody. But you just say, oh, do you think there's life after death? We're going to talk about it. Most people don't. And one thing I've found intriguing and fascinating is the fact that when I bring that subject up and say something like this, are you afraid of dying? I can read their eyes. They're saying, how does this guy know? I haven't told my mum and dad. I haven't told my brother and sister, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, but I'm terrified of dying. And we know they are because Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15 says every human being is haunted by the fear of death all their lifetime, haunted by it. You know, when I was a kid, we'd play cowboys and Indians over at the beach and we'd shoot each other, roll down a sandhill, and I'd die for about mm, 10 seconds. And as life went on, I hit my teens. I thought, hang on. It's going to take me out, and there's no getting up. And it was like I was standing in this line of people stepping off a thousand-foot cliff and saying to myself, is there a way out of this line? And I found it in Christ. Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, and that's what we must preach. And that's the answer to every dilemma, the abortion dilemma, homosexual dilemma, pornography, adultery, fornication. All these sins are completely dealt with through, through the gospel. God gives the sinner his own personal miracle where he takes his heart and causes them to thirst after righteousness. That's what the gospel does, and that's our own personal miracle. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic, Ray. Uh, when even the pandemic the last several years, uh, I've, I've asked people in conversation, did you have anyone uh, that you knew, that you loved, that you cared about, that you lost as a result of COVID? And boy, everybody had a story to tell, and it, it, it heightened their own sensitivity towards death and how quickly things can happen. Uh, so it's another easy entry point for conversation. Oh, absolutely. You know, we can tend to ho- want to hold back. I was on Huntington Beach Pier, and I was going to interview a lady, and straight at the beginning of the interview, she said, my husband just died. And immediately, my heart sunk. I thought, how could I talk about heaven and hell? Right. You know, when a husband just died... But I, what I had to do was dismiss that because her concern wasn't just that her husband had died, but her concern was for her own, her own mortality. It had brought to her that she was going to die. And so I addressed that, and she was so grateful. We didn't even touch on the issue of where her husband went. I didn't want to go there, and she didn't want to go there. We just went straight to the gospel, and she was so grateful. Mm-hmm. Ray Comforts, my guest, Ray, uh, remind believers who are listening what we have that the rest of the world does not have. Yeah, you you asking me to remind them. I pulled the phone away just for a second while I cough. Could you repeat that question? <laughs> yeah, I just re- remind the believers who are listening to this show what we have that the the world does not have. Oh yeah, the Bible says to them that sat in darkness a light has sprung up. You know, Psalm twenty three is the death psalm. 
It's always in cowboy movies, the old drunken clergyman standing there, graveside, quoting with a monotone voice, Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The world thinks that psalm has something to do with death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not. If you're in the valley of something, in a shadow of something, you're not in its reality. If you're in the shadow of a wall, you're not in the wall. You're just in close proximity to the wall. And this life is the shadow of death. It hovers over every human being. It can snatch us at any minute. God forbid the thought's terrifying, but it could. And the Bible says of Jesus, to them that sat in the shadow of death, they're not going anywhere, a light has sprung up. And when that shadow goes away, when the light comes, it releases us from the fear of death in the same way a parachute will release you from the fear of jumping out of a plane. Mm -hmm. If you jump 10,000 feet without a parachute, you're going to be horrified beyond words. Someone gives you a parachute, now you can control your fears. Your fear will be in direct relationship to the faith you have in the parachute. Trust the parachute 100%, you'll have no fear. You'll go, whoopee, jump 10,000 feet. I trust the parachute. That's what we're like with Jesus. Yeah, fantastic. Great. I assume your dog is a Christian after listening to you present so many times? <laughs> she needs to repent. I lost my dog. My, I lost my first dog about a year ago, which was very sad. But I had a new one. She wears the glasses. Oh, and, uh, yeah, she's more sanctified now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing the show. Pleasure having you on. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. Ray Comfort's been my guest. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.